All right, good morning once again. I'm looking forward to uh, opening God's Word and uh, getting back to our study on the Lord's Prayer. And this is week number two. Uh, we are in the third Sunday of the Easter season, and so I encourage you to, to, to make time to celebrate, especially on a day like today when we gather together to really lift up uh, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has been raised and who reigns eternally and who invites us to, be, uh, to join with Him. And so it's exciting. So uh, as we look to the Lord's Prayer, we find ourselves coming close to Jesus, coming close and listening to what He would have us learn and have us understand uh, about prayer, but more than that, understand about God about our life with Him. And so this is week number two in our teaching series called Our Father. And today's message is called, Why Pray? Why Pray? I think that's a question we've probably all asked at some point, like, why even do this? Especially in those times when we don't feel like it's doing anything, when there's not any, like, real answers, or have you ever felt like, man, is God even listening? Yeah. Um, have you ever um, wondered about the power of, uh, of ceilings? When it comes to prayer, it's like, I think my prayers are stuck. I think they hit the ceiling and they bounce right back down. It's like, I've got like 3G and I need like 5G connection here on my prayer. Why pray? Like I said, last week we launched ourselves into this learning adventure. And my hope is that we'll all grow, we'll learn, we'll come through this with a clearer perspective. Uh, uh, better prepared to learn. This journey through the Lord's Prayer, I think will be good for us because it will be centering. It will help us uh, be more present and available to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So uh, let's start with this. Let's just hear the Lord's Prayer to kind of prep our thoughts and prepare our minds. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And we'll become very familiar with this passage in the weeks ahead. Now, as background reading for this series, um, I spent time with uh, Philip Yancey, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to any of you, but there's a book he wrote called Prayer Doesn't Make Any Difference. Uh, this book is really helpful. Is anyone familiar with Philip Yancey? Has anyone read this book? It's a great resource, and I encourage you to become familiar with it because uh, he's going to be kind of a traveling companion with us today. You'll hear a lot from Mr. Yancey. Philip Yancey does a great job addressing a problem that we talked a little bit about last week. You know, prayer is a gift, but it can be really frustrating. I think that's the tension a lot of us recognize. Yes, prayer is a gift. This invitation to actually talk to God, the creator of the universe, great. However, our experience with it is oftentimes frustrating, even for the most devout of Christians. I think those who have spent more and more time in prayer oftentimes understand more and more of that frustration. Philip Yancey, uh, he identifies five challenges for every Christian who encounters uh, or endeavors to pray. And I know my list makers in the room are like, sweet, there's five things. Yes, you can write down five things in this list. How exciting. But Yancey identifies five challenges every Christian encounters in his or her efforts to pray. First, advances in science and technology. 
Advances in science and technology. Yancey says, in former days, farmers lifted their heads and appealed to brazen heavens for, the end, for an end to the drought. Now we study low pressure fronts, we dig irrigation canals, and we seed clouds with metallic particles. In former days, when a child fell ill, the parents cried out to God. Now they call for an ambulance or they phone the doctor. So it's not bad that we have uh, science and technology, but many times science and technology creates a barrier for our ability to trust in the, uh, the power of prayer. It becomes a barrier, a challenge in our prayer life. So advances in science and technology. Number two, modern skepticism. Modern skepticism. Yancey explains it this way, we breathe in an atmosphere of doubt. We live in an atmosphere, breathing in daily, just doubt. The idea of faith is assaulted from all sides. And it's been kind of inculcated into us too. We, lit, we breathe in an atmosphere of doubt. Why does God let history lurch on without intervening? What good will prayer do against nuclear threat, against terrorism and hurricanes and global climate change? Or, or mass shootings with, with uh, gun violence or racial tensions. Uh, oftentimes there's frustration from the non-praying public toward those who do pray because they look at prayer and they just feel frustrated. The time, it's a time for action, not prayer, because prayer is viewed as ineffectual. A cop-out sometimes. And so there's this skepticism that really bubbles to the surface, especially uh, on the heels of current events sometimes. And uh, we too find ourselves wondering, is like, really? How much can I actually rely on prayer? Have you ever found the skepticism in you too? Even as a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, someone who slaves over a hot Bible all the time, I find myself skeptical too sometimes. So advances in science and technology, modern skepticism, three, prosperity. Prosperity itself can create a challenge to prayer. Yancey says, in my travels, I have noticed that Christians in developing countries spend less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. The wealthy rely on talent and resources to solve immediate problems and insurance policies and retirement plans to secure the future. We can hardly pray with sincerity, God, give us this day our daily bread, when the pantry is stocked with a month's supply of provisions. So prosperity makes it hard for us to really throw ourselves into prayer, relying on God through prayer. So, number one, advances in science and technology. Number two, modern skepticism. And number three, prosperity. Number four, time pressure. Time pressure. I know this isn't for any of us here, but some people are really busy. Some people's weeks are just full, top to bottom, with stuff to do. And this morning, actually, uh, I was talking in the adult Bible study, and Ruth mentioned that some weeks it's just nonstop. And it's hard to find even space to sit still and to go into your prayer closet and just give God your full attention. It happens to all of us. Yancey says, increasingly, time pressures crowd out the leisurely pace that prayer seems to require. Communication with other people keeps getting shorter and more cryptic. Think about text messages, email, um, uh, instant messaging. We have less and less time for conversation, let alone contemplation. 
We have the constant sensation of not enough time, not enough rest, not enough exercise, not enough leisure. Where does God fit into a life that already seems behind schedule? Has anyone ever felt this struggle? Oh my goodness. So we've got advances in science and technology, modern skepticism, prosperity, time pressure, and the fifth, alternative options. Alternative options. Prayer has become just one of many options for us. Sometimes prayer is treated like that little spare tire that's in the trunk of your car that you never really see unless you absolutely need it. And that little donut, it's called like a limp home tire. It's like if everything else fails, I'll get out the tiny, tiny tire. Prayer is sometimes a little tiny spare tire for us. And we've got other options that come first. Yancey explains it this way. If we choose to look inward and bear our souls, therapists and support groups now offer outlets that were once reserved for God alone. Prayer, praying to an invisible God, does not bring forth the same feedback you would get from a counselor or from friends who would at least nod their heads in sympathy. Given the choice, we would rather have a friend sit there and go, hmm, hmm, and pat our hand than to trust in the sovereign God of the universe because we can't see that nodding. We can't see that, feel that closeness sometimes. So we'd rather go for some of these alternative options. So as you can see, there's a lot of challenges we face. And maybe particularly uh, in our time, in our culture, we have all the more challenges when it comes to being available, participating in a prayer life that matters uh, to us and engages us with God. So, before we venture further into exploring the Lord's Prayer, perhaps it's good, it's appropriate to stop and take a few minutes to engage this question. Why pray? Why even pray? Why pray? Like I said, Philip Yancey, thankfully, is traveling with us today and, and speaking into this conversation and helping us, I think, get a better understanding um, about the opportunity we have in prayer. Yancey says, if I had to answer the question, why pray, in one sentence, how do you think you'd answer? If I had to answer the question, why pray, in one sentence, it would be, because Jesus did. I pray because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. He bridged the chasm between God and human beings. While on earth, He became vulnerable as we are vulnerable, rejected as we are rejected, and tested as we are tested. And in every case, He responded with prayer. Have you noticed this about Jesus? All the things He faced, He, being God incarnate, turned to pray. When tempted, he went to the Word. He recalled the Word that was hidden in his heart. He retreated to prayer. Jesus turned to pray. When he was challenged, tested, rejected, where did he go? What did he do? He prayed. The stark and simple answer that, Philip's, that, that Philip Yancey gives, it resonates with me at, at some level here. I resonate with that. Oh, Jesus thought it was important. Jesus prayed. I'll pray too. Why pray? Because Jesus did. Now at first, I will be honest, I thought um, Philip Yancey's answer was a little bit dismissive, a little bit too easy, a little trite maybe. But as I've considered it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Why? 
Well, simply this. If Jesus believed in prayer, shouldn't I? If I'm shaping my life after Jesus, if He is the model for what I'm trying to become, I ought to be willing to do, eager to do that which He did. Understanding that He came to, to teach us a lot of things, but also to demonstrate a lot of things. If Jesus believed in prayer, shouldn't I? If Jesus prioritized prayer in His life, Him being God incarnate, how much more should I emulate His practice of prayer? Have you ever made this connection? Regardless of all the challenges or all the excuses or all the, time, all the stuff that clouds and crowds out um, our ability or our willingness or our um, attendance to prayer, maybe we should all come back to this. Hey, I'll pray because Jesus did it. Jesus seemed to think it was worth it. So I'll hold on to that. If, even if that's the only thing I can hold on to, Jesus did it and so will I. In the Gospels, over a dozen of Jesus' specific prayers are recorded, along with several of his parables and teachings about prayer. So not only do the Gospels record his prayers, multiple times he's actually teaching those around him about prayer. He seemed to think it was pretty important. Additionally, Jesus seemed to organize his whole ministry around times spent away. Time spent in private prayer, retreating regularly to have quiet hours alone with the Father. If you read through the Gospel, you kind of see this rhythm. Jesus is busy. Jesus is tired. He's giving of himself over and over among the people. But then all of a sudden he's like, whoa, where's Jesus? All the disciples are like, uh, anyone seen Jesus? Did we lose the Messiah? Where's Jesus? And he's off praying. He's up all night or he's up early praying alone in those quiet hours alone with the Father. Jesus would rise early in the morning. At other times, Jesus would stay up all night long. But through it all, Jesus demonstrated that prayer was his first priority. Everything Jesus was called to do in his ministry, everything he was challenged with in his life, stemmed from, started from a place of prayer. He knew that he needed those times alone with God to find his strength and his focus, to be reminded of why he was doing what he was doing. Jesus treated prayer as his first priority. It was even more important to him than sleep. It was even more important to him than food. He got away to be with God because that was his first priority. Philip Yancey further explains his thinking regarding this answer. Yancey says, when doubt creeps in, and I wonder whether prayer is a, just a sanctified form of talking to myself, I remind myself that the Son of God, who had spoken worlds into being and sustains all that exists, he felt a compelling need to pray. Jesus prayed as if it made a difference, as if the time he devoted to prayer mattered every bit as much as the time he devoted to caring for people. There were times Jesus understood that it was more important for him to be away, letting the sick be sick, the deaf be deaf, the blind be blind. It was better for them to stay in that condition and him be alone in prayer than it was for him to just give it all to them all the time. He understood there had to be an effective, healthy balance there. Jesus' prayer habit... His emphasis on prayer, it was noticed. It was clearly noticed by his followers. Uh, this explains why Jesus' disciples, to, to one degree or another, were familiar with Jewish prayer practices, right? You didn't grow up as a Jewish uh, boy or girl without seeing and hearing and understanding the prayer practices of the people. 
Prayer was a big deal among the Jewish culture, right? So none of these people around Jesus were unfamiliar with what prayer was or how people prayed. But when they saw Jesus, they said, something is different here. There's a different approach. There's a different understanding. There's something different, a vitality to what Jesus is doing. And so they come to him and they say, hey, show us how to do that. What you're doing, teach us. I mean, we know, how, we know about prayer. I mean, we see it all the time. But you, would you teach us how to do what you're doing? Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray. So look at Luke. Look at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. What we see here uh, is Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. But in this, I think we'll find some instructive um, guidance. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 11, starting verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying... As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, this is how. This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And, and suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up to give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. In a Bible kind of way, that's funny. Um, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if, you ask, if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I pray that we have the discipline to sit with passages like this. Maybe this week, sit with us and listen to what Jesus is telling us. How remarkable. It's like we don't have to bug God. He's listening already. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always ready and willing to give you the good things you need. A couple of things we should notice here in this passage at the beginning, at the outset. First, we notice that Jesus is once again spending time in prayer. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. He was in a certain place praying. It didn't even require specifics. It's just like in another time, Jesus was in a certain place praying. It's like, this is what he does. Jesus... Once again, he was spending time in prayer alone with God. This practice further impressed, further reinforced the disciples' impression that Jesus was experiencing something special. Those around Jesus recognized that something good was happening in those times spent with God. Something beyond the normal religious practice of prayer that they had seen among the other rabbis. 
Something different was happening. It's like he came, like Moses coming down the mountain with his face glowing. Jesus would come away from these times of prayer somehow refreshed, enlivened. Something was going on, and so the disciples noticed this. They approached Jesus. They requested that he teach them to enjoy what they had seen him enjoying with God. There was some sort of enjoyment happening. That Jesus seemed to enjoy spending time in prayer, and they too wanted to enjoy uh, what he was enjoying in his life with God. There seemed to be a relational depth. Maybe for you there's been times, seasons of prayer, where you felt a genuine relational depth in your prayer life with God. But then you've probably also been through seasons where it's just like, I don't even know. God, are you still there? Has God ever felt pretty absent in your prayer life? Yeah, probably. But there's been those times where you felt that depth to that relationship. This is what the disciples were noticing in Jesus. This is what they desired as well. So then in verses 2 through 4, Jesus uh, lays out in Luke's abbreviated form the framework for approaching God. As he uh, works, he lays out the Lord's Prayer in this setting, he basically does four things. Here are you list makers, four more things, right? He's first, he says, affirm who God is. This is where we should start our prayers. Affirm God's goodness. Start by affirming who God is. Second, recognize who we are. Recognize who we are. Third, prioritize His will. Hey, your will be done. Over and against mine, your will be done. And then fourth, express our needs. Express our needs. That Jesus demonstrates and invites us to tell God what we need. We're not here just to say nice things about God. We're actually invited to say, Help. Please. I need your help, God. Here again, as in Matthew's passage, Jesus is making it clear that prayer is not a magic formula. It's not a magic formula, but instead it works along the lines of conversation and relationship. How we interact with God is not an incantation. It's not a spell. It's not something we have to get the words right. Jesus is inviting us to communicate with God along the lines of conversation and relationship. There should be a familiarity, a knownness between you and God in that time and place of prayer. Prayer is an invitation to keep company with God. Prayer is an invitation to keep company with God, to interact with Him, speaking and listening, asking and answering. Continuing on in verses 5 through 10, uh, eager to seize every opportunity to teach us about prayer, Jesus then tells a story about persistence, about persistence in prayer. And this strange story of this guy who is in bed, his wife's there, his kids are in bed, all the, cat, the livestock are in, and someone starts knocking on the door late at night. Starts knocking on the door, needing hospitality. Like, hey, someone came to visit, a friend from out of town, didn't call, they didn't text, they just showed up. And I don't have any food for them, and I need to show them hospitality. I need to borrow some bread. And the guy's like, go away. Come back in the morning. And Jesus says, no, if he keeps knocking, what's going to happen? Is the guy who's upstairs in bed, is his heart going to melt in compassion? No, he's probably going to get frustrated enough to be like, if I don't get out of bed and just give this guy some bread, he's going to keep me up all night. So he goes downstairs frustrated, but still willing to do what his friend asked because he's bugging him. Right? But the persistence was key, and God's not like that. 
He contrasts, though, how even a normal person, a normal person, a human, will give you what you need if you bug them long enough. That's a pro tip right there. A person will give you what you need as long as you bug them long enough, okay? <laughs> Write that down if you want. How much more would a good God eagerly give you what you need? This God who does not sleep or slumber. The God who is everywhere all the time in full power and full presence and He's there willing to help you get what you need, go where you need to go and become who you need to become. He's willing. How much more will He give you that good thing? So Jesus compels us, don't give up. Ask, seek, knock, be perseverant in your prayers. So many times I get frustrated with my prayers because they aren't answered in my time. They aren't answered according to my timeline. God doesn't do what I think He should do when I think He should do it, and I get frustrated, and I assume then He's not listening. Or He's not going to do it. He doesn't care. My mind goes a little bit crazy with that. But be perseverant. Persevere in your prayers. Okay, and then verses 11 through 13, Jesus wants to make one final point. He takes it a little bit further, and He wants to say, Hey, stop thinking that God is stingy. He's not stingy. He's not slow, and he's not stingy. Using fathers as an example, he says, Hey, fathers, you fathers that are listening to me. Using fathers as an example, he says, Hey, how many of you would give your kids a snake if they asked you for a fish? That's an absurd question. They're like, uh, nobody? Who would even have a snake? You know? Or, or how, who would give your kid a scorpion if they asked for an egg? Again, they're like, that's ridiculous. Like I keep scorpions in my pocket. I mean, that's, that's dangerous, you know. But it's an absurd question. It's like your kid asks for fish, and you're like, okay, here's a cobra, you know. I'd like an egg, Dad. Okay, great. How about a scorpion? His listeners are like, that's absurd. Yeah, no, no one would do that. The answer is nobody. Nobody would do that. Not even a bad dad would do that kind of stuff, right? This is the contrast Jesus is trying to build. How much more then will a perfectly good father who loves you and cares for you give you all that you need? So ask. Give us today our daily bread and trust that he will do so. So prayer. Why do it? Why pray? How should we uh, approach and understand the gift of prayer that's been given to us? Well, Yancey concludes, I have come to see prayer as a privilege. I have come to see prayer as a privilege, not a duty. Like all good things, prayer requires some discipline. Yeah, sorry. Prayer does require discipline. It's a habit we work to develop and cultivate in our lives. Prayer requires some discipline. Yet I believe that life with God should seem more like friendship than duty. Prayer includes moments of ecstasy and also dullness, mindless distraction and acute concentration, flashes of joy and bouts of irritation. In other words, prayer has features in common with all relationships that matter. If prayer stands as the place where God and humans, human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around these two themes. These two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Pretty insightful. My frustration in prayer usually circles around these two themes. Why, why God doesn't act the way we want Him to, and then why I don't act the way God wants me to. 
Prayer is the precise point where these themes converge. Prayer becomes that space where, where heaven and earth come together, a thin space, a sacred space, where these two themes, these two realities converge together and are brought into focus and into tension, really. It's true, prayer can be frustrating, and, it cha and challenges do exist for us in practicing it and trusting in it. But in this, like so many other things in the life of faith, we must choose to believe that it is worth it. We must choose to once again go into prayer believing that it's worth it, that God might just meet us there. We can look to Jesus, we can look to the Scriptures, and we can lean on each other. And when we do, we'll find God to be a good Father. We'll find Jesus to have been telling the truth. God is a good Father. He is eager to hear us, He is eager to respond, and He longs to care for us. Do you believe this about God? I mean, at a deeper level, do you believe Jesus is telling the truth? Because this is the words of Jesus here, telling us to go to the Father, to pray, to lay out our cares and concerns, our adoration, our fears, our doubts, lay it all out along the lines of conversation and relationship. So why pray? Because Jesus did. Because Jesus did. And Jesus invites us to join Him in that conversation. And I pray that we would today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's probably an understatement to say I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus came, that He lived, He died, and He rose again. But I'm also thankful that He was so patient that He revealed such caring and concern for us, that He would come and, and be a present with us, to gather us around, to speak to our hopes and our fears, to, to uh, address the areas of the, the life of faith that cause us frustration, that can lead us to uh, have doubts and to just feel like we, we might be doing this wrong. Oh, I love how Jesus comes and settles our fears. He calms our nervous hearts. And he says, hey, just get alone with God. Just sit with Him. In those times when you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just listen. Just listen. I love it too, God, that you've placed us in a community of believers for those times when we don't even know if we have the strength to pray. Maybe we're too angry. Maybe we're too hurt. Maybe we're too scared. And we just need Christian brothers and sisters, faithful travelers who are following after Jesus with us that we can lean on them and find our words in their words as they pray for us. God, I pray that we would start to recognize the treasure that prayer is for us. That we would notice, notice Jesus' uh, intentional practice of it, but also His intention for us to get it, to know it, to experience it ourselves. God, it, it's insightful that Jesus, when He went away to pray, He didn't go up onto a cloud or, 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 or hover above the earth or go someplace that we can't go. He went into spaces and, and went to places where we too can go if we will just press through these challenges we face. If we'll only make that time. If only we will prioritize like Jesus did those quiet hours. So God, work these, these truths into our hearts. Help us reorder our days, our energy, our attention to give you first place. So that even if it's just for a short while, each day we have that time away that we can come close to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to pray so that we can become more like you and we can start to enjoy 
your life with God. Lord, we lift up this prayer to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to do another thing a little bit different. We're going to worship just a bit more. And this is a time for you to visit with God. Keep company with God. Enter into prayer as we sing, as you sit, as you're into a quiet time uh, with God. Make the most of it. But uh, I'll be sitting up here if you'd like to pray with somebody. I'd love to pray with you. But here's the thing. We're creating space to interact with God, to reveal our hearts, to share our hearts with Him. And trust in this. God is good and He cares for you. So make the most of this opportunity.